0: So, as we come to chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, Saul has been rejected as the king of Israel by God, but he's still the king. Saul knows he's rejected. The Lord knows he's rejected him. Maybe no one else really knows other than Samuel the prophet who gave him that word. The people, to the people, he's their king. They've had some victories. Some good things have happened, particularly by Jonathan, Saul's son, and the victories against the Philistines in previous chapters. And Saul blew the trumpet and took the glory and the credit for what his son accomplished. But as a whole, things were looking up for the nation of Israel. And then we come to this story where Goliath comes on the scene. Now, at this point in time, David is already, you know, we know that he's already been anointed by Samuel to be the future king. He's the eighth son of the house of Jesse. And we know that he's been called upon to play music for Saul, King Saul, when he has a distressing spirit. So thus far, he's a teenager that occasionally is hired out, like a 1099, to come in and lead worship and music for Saul when he's having a bad day, and then he goes back home and takes care of his father's sheep, which is what he does in the family business. And now that's our background. So at the beginning of chapter 17, Goliath is introduced to us. We're told he's six cubits tall, which means he could have been as tall as nine feet, because a cubit is generally considered to be 18 inches. We're told that his armor weighed about 150 pounds. So he's a large man, and he's a strong man, and he, he's, he's a bully for sure, and he would have bullied all of his own people, so he was their champion of the Philistines. He definitely worshiped Dagon, the fish god, because he quotes his god and uh, intimidates through his god. So he's definitely demonically deceived, and he's very into his false belief system as a Philistine. And he has come out and challenged the nation of Israel to send just one man to fight so the two armies are facing each other, the Philistines and the Israelites, but they are in the land of Israel, which means it's the promised land. It's God's land for God's people. So if you're going forward, you're going you're to expel them, and you're going to have victory, but your heart has to be right. Saul's heart's not right, but David's heart is right. David's not there yet. His three older brothers are there enlisted in the army, and they're part of the Israelite army on this side of the valley. So Goliath comes out, And he taunts Israel and challenges them to send forth one man to fight him. And as you look at the text, it's very interesting because in the previous chapter, when David was anointed to be king, his older brother, who was Samuel, said, surely this is the Lord's anointed to replace Saul. It says that he was uh, his physique. It drew attention to his physique. So whatever we know about David's older brother, he looked like a bad dude. He had that physique. He looks like the guy that would fight Goliath. He looks like a champion for Israel. We know King Saul is that champion because we know he's already the tallest guy. He controls all the wealth. He's the most powerful man. And he's really good looking. So as Goliath would come out day after day to taunt and challenge Israel to send forth a champion, in the back of everyone's mind, immediately it would be like, well, our king should go out and fight him because our king is the tallest man. And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. When you're in sixth grade picking basketball teams, you know, you know pick the, the, the tall guys usually pick first, but you split up the two tall guys or tall girls, and they pick everyone else. But when you're about to play basketball, anyone knows this, that when five guys look at other five guys play basketball, you always put the tallest guy on the other tall guy. That's just the way it works. Sean Havler, the missionary from Ethiopia, he knew Dave Markey in Russia. He goes, oh, I knew him. Yeah, we always had to face off at basketball at the Bible college because we're the two tallest guys. And David Markey played college basketball, so that was not going to match up for Sean Havler, and he told me so. So we can picture this. So when there's big guys coming out taunting, and saying, send forth their champion, everyone's like, do we dare look at our king? Or you look around the the army and the camp and say, well, who else fits the bill? How about David's older brother? But no one has the faith to step up. And it is a game of intimidation, like two boxers squaring off at the press conference, three days before the fight at the weigh-in or something. It's intimidating, and it's also spiritual. It's a spiritual battle. It's Dagon, the fish god, being quoted by Goliath versus the God of Israel. And that's our background to the story. And in the midst of the camp of Israel, cowering in fear and being crippled and paralyzed by fear, because the Bible tells us in the text they were all fearful, in fact, it says they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And we're told that David, you know, he's the shepherd. He's there with his dad. His dad sends him with stuff to bring to the battlefront for his brothers and the army. And with that background, David comes on the scene and he sees Goliath taunting Israel. And he's like, he's just blown away. Like, how is it no one will step up and fight this guy? Remember, David was a teenager. And we pick it up tonight in the text, verse 26. From that background... For it says, Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. Now the words which David spoke were heard, and they reported them to Saul. And he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him your servant will go out and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth and he is a man from a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by the beard and I struck it and killed it your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with his coat of mail, that's his armor, and David fastened his sword, Saul's sword, and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then David took his staff, his shepherd's staff, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. Put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch, which he had, and his sling with, is in his hand. And he drew near the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. That's the armor-bearer of the Philistine. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword and the spear for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, he slung it, and it struck the Philistine in his forehead. So the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David, therefore David ran and took over. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut his head off with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and the gates of Ekron. That's Philistine territory. And the wounded of the Philistine fell along the road to Shariam, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine, brought it to Jerusalem, but put, he put Goliath's armor in his tent. Well, that's quite a story, right? It's historical, it's biblical, and has great meaning for the church of Jesus Christ. Because, of course, David is that king that God anointed, and we know that Jesus Christ is the son of David. And he has the title of being son of David in the New Testament. This David was a man of war. Our, our jesus the son of david the savior of the world the son of god he's a man of war in the spiritual realm he disarmed principalities and powers having humiliated them, made a spectacle of them on the cross when jesus died on the cross he had total triumph over sin over the grave and over the devil with the risen his resurrection as well jesus is coming walking on planet earth living a perfect sinless life born of the virgin Defeating the devil in the 40-day temptation, head-to-head, man-on-man, if you will. And then the perfect sinless life, the perfect sinless sacrifice, his blood for our sins, totally acceptable and sufficient to save us from our sins and redeem us for all eternity and glory. His resurrected body, the hope of our resurrected body going to glory. His ascension to the right hand of the Father, testimony that ever lives and intercedes for us to this day to all of our needs so that we can come boldly in time of need, under any circumstance, of the Lord with our faith in Jesus Christ as sons of the Father and the promise of his coming kingdom for he's coming again as the king of kings and lord of lords not to establish just the spiritual victory in that dimension but complete and total victory unfinished work in every dimension that exists in his universe that he made that is all made for him held by him and controlled by him. David's victory is quite minuscule when you compare it to King Jesus and the victory that we celebrated last week, celebrating Good Friday and Easter service. But this is like a shadow, if you will, of things that come in. The fullness is Christ. This is like black and white TV compared to color TV, if you will. This is shadows and things. It is war. It's violent. It's brutal. And war is, as we've seen even in the last few months with events in Europe. But. This is a spiritual battle, even as there's a spiritual battle going on in the European war right now. There's always, behind every human physical war, there's a spiritual battle, we know that. And so as we look at this text tonight, we wanna to think of it in the realm of the spirit, in the realm of spiritual battles that we fight. Because we all face giants. The moment we, someone gives our life to Christ, we're born again, we're born anew, we're born in the kingdom, and we're now engaged in that spiritual battle. We were previously held captive by the devil to do his will But when we give our life to Christ, we're part of the kingdom. And now as we enter the call that God has in our life, everything is forward, onward, and upward with King Jesus, who works in us for his good pleasure and gives us all things pertaining to life and godliness. But it's a spiritual battle to become who we are meant to be like Christ in our character. It's a spiritual battle to fight for our marriages if we're married. It's a spiritual battle to intercede and fight for our children and the call that God has on their life, our grandchildren the call that God has on their life. It's a spiritual battle to fight for our neighborhood and the souls of the people that surround us. It's a spiritual battle to fight for our communities and our region, our state, and our country. It's always a spiritual battle. From the bottom to the top, from the king's palace to the homeless on the streets around the world, whatever language we speak in 24 time zones, there's a spiritual battle behind every human soul on planet Earth. There always has been, it is, and there always will be. And we need to understand when we give our life to Christ, we've entered in that battle. For our weapons are not carnal, but mighty in God for tearing down the strongholds of the enemy. And we don't war against flesh and blood, but we're war against principalities and powers, heavenly hosts in the heavenly places. And our weapons are not carnal, but they're the armor of God with the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith and all the other things that make up the armor of God. So keep that in mind as we look at this text and consider application. A couple of key phrases that may have jumped out to you when we were reading this text. One of them is found in verse 29 when David's brother says he knows more about David's heart than David himself. And David simply responds and says, What now have I done? He challenges his brother to give him an actual accusation. But then he says something very profound Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? When there's evil in the land and falsehood is prevailing against truth, when there's a shedding of innocent blood, when there's the diluting of falsehood against truth, when good becomes evil and becomes good, is there not a cause in the marketplace of thought for people of truth to stand for truth and having done all stand? Is there not a cause? In the human experience, there's just causes and unjust causes. And men and women passionately pursue just causes and unjust causes. And in this story, we need to know David is pursuing a just cause. We also see another phrase that gets our attention later on, down in verse 47. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. So put these two phrases together. You have a cause. Is there not a cause? And the battle is the Lord's. Is there not a cause? And the battle is the Lord's. And it would seem in 2022, the sins of human race have all apexed from every previous generation and landed on our generation for complete, utter insanity, nonsense, and chaos. It's unfathomable. The deception, delusion, and discouragement that hangs over this planet right now on this day. From the oldest generation to the newest generation. I can't help but think of what God said to Jonah. Should I not have compassion on people who can't tell their right hand from their left hand? And it would seem that's the day that we live in. The church is truth. The truth is the word of God. And we are stewards of the mysteries of the word, word of God, and it's our accountability to stand on the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the truth, the embodiment of all truth, and his word is the encompassment of total truth in the human experience. And the church, the keys to the kingdom, are really built around the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Thus we're in 1 Samuel 17 tonight, going through the Bible verse by verse. For the whole council, because all the scripture is inspired, and it's profitable. So tonight, in this place, we don't have to wonder what truth is, what a just cause is. The truth of the universe, and the only thing that matters for every human soul is that Christ is King, Son of God, Savior of the world, died for our sins. And that's the message that reigns supreme over the entire universe of trillions of galaxies. That is the apex message, and everything is so insignificant behind that because either you're in Christ and you have eternal life or you're in an Adam and you're condemned, whereas I finished Isaiah 66 today where it says, where the fire is not quenched and the worm is not satisfied. Jesus quotes that very passage talking about the reality of hell in the New Testament. Every generation of the church finds himself in a spiritual battle it would just seem that ours has cranked up and ratcheted up quite a bit. Not to take away from previous spiritual battles, we know what it was like to be a believer in Christ in Europe in the 30s and the 40s, right? Who could know what we would have done as Dutch believers or Danish believers or whatever? you know? But if you're a Czech and you're living for Jesus in 1939 and the Nazis rolled out, I mean, we don't know or to be a Christian during Stalin's reign or Mao Zedong and all that he did Xi Jinping, who knows what it's like to be a believer in different parts of China right now? I don't know. Or North Korea. I feel like we got our hands full trying to be a follower of Jesus Christ in California, United States of America right now. It's a spiritual battle. And it seems like the enemy has come in like a flood, but the Bible tells us when the enemy comes like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard, a banner against him. And that standard is King Jesus is coming. King of kings, Lord of lords. But we have to fight our battles. Being a believer, we're part of, being the church, we're part of a, a universal battle for our time and our generation and our location and our nation. So we share the plan with all the other believers worldwide in different na- nations and ethnicities and languages, and they've got their challenges. We have ours. So we have that commonality But we have the uniqueness again of being in our country and all that we're watching happen in our country that's happening at such a pace, it's just so rapid and so demonic and so delusional. And we know that. I'm not exaggerating. When we have a new Supreme Court justice that can't say a woman's a woman and a man's a man, we've really gone over a cliff. And that's not the point of the message, but that's just the reality of the world. We walk out in here when we go to work And you go to your university and you drive on the freeway and you do this and you do that. But we're still the church. And this story tells us the principles that we still hold the high moral ground. We still have all the authority of heaven, all the promises of heaven and the assurance that the king is coming. So like good diplomats, better yet, like good ambassadors and good citizens, we need to continue to represent this coming kingdom and declare the terms of this coming kingdom, whether the foreign land that we're in, planet Earth, accepts it, believes it, or rejects it. That's what we need to do. And this story reminds us of that. There are giants facing the church worldwide right now, spiritual giants. There are giants facing our country, spiritually, economically, socially. There are giants facing our personal life right now, physically, health, Finances, different agitations of life, human relationships within our family, within our neighbors, and where we work. There's no shortage of giants in our world. And as I say giant to you, you probably have some visuals right away that come to your mind. So there's certain giants of people and forces that are against the church worldwide. There's giants in our country that are against the church and against our faith within this nation trying to destroy it. And then there are giants in your real world that affect you personally the Bible tells us so this is the good fight and Paul himself said at the end of his life the Apostle Paul I have kept the faith, finished the race and fought the good fight so there's bad fights and there's good fights the bad fights getting getting in someone else's quarrel and the Proverbs tells us that's like grabbing a dog by the ear when they're in a dog fight that's not the right fight but the right fight is the good fight to fight the good fight of right and wrong truth and falsehood what's true just noble honorable and praiseworthy and the things that god honors that's the right fight and that's a good fight the fight of prayer for your walk and your character and your convictions and your conscience the fight of prayer for your family and your children your grandchildren and your neighbors that's a good fight and that's the fight we really fight like david fighting goliath in this text and so as we think about this that it's a just cause and is the Lord's battle because we gave our life to Christ, we give our life to Christ, and is now our battle. Then there's some really good things we can pull from this and, and really take to heart. One, we need to realize in the midst of this fight and this spiritual battle that each of us fight as we seek to live for the Lord at any generation or time, but especially ours right now, is we have to reject the negativity. Of everything the kingdom of darkness throws at us in this fight. Now, I've been thinking about this. Because we all like to say, He's a positive person, she's a negative person, she's a positive person, he's a negative person. And the world gets caught up on positive, negative. I understand that. But you know, if you really think about it, everything that Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's gonna do in your life is positive. There's not one thing that God does in your life that's negative. Because all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you realize everything, 100%, not 99.99, everything, everything the living God wants to do in your life and my life between now and eternity is a good thing and it would be what we call a positive thing. All of his thoughts are good thoughts, right? That's what the Bible tells us, his thoughts are good thoughts. Thoughts of what? A future and a hope. Thoughts of peace. And we've been talking about this. The word tells us to take every thought captive and obedient to Christ. So one thing for sure we control is our thoughts and our conscience before the living God. And we'll give an account for it. Because Jesus says that on the day of the Lord, we'll give an account for the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And every word that came from it. For the bonds of our heart, does a woman or a man speak? Now, let's think about the devil. Does the devil have one positive thought towards you? And you're calling in the Lord? Is either? Absolutely not. He's a thief. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's a slander of the brethren. He wants to destroy you. He wants you dead spiritually, physically, eternally. He's not just Dr. Doom, he's Dr. Death. He's the viper, he's the serpent. He's cursed. And he wants to destroy every good thing God wants to do in your life from now to eternity. In your character, in your marriage, with your children, your children's children, your finances and wealth, your physical health. He wants to destroy. Jesus described him best when he said he's the father of lies. He's the dragon. And he doesn't have one good thought for you. Not one, they're all negative. When the devil looks at your marriage, he doesn't have one good thought for your marriage. When the Lord looks at your marriage, he doesn't have one bad thought. It's light and darkness with the kingdom. And in this story, David has to take captive three different attacks on his faith and his conviction and the just cause to get to the battle. And we have to fight these battles. We have to fight the negative attacks on our faith. The first negative attack in this chapter on David is from his brother. And isn't it family that so often that brings out the worst in us? Isn't it an immediate biological family that attacks and attacks and attacks negatively the good things that God wants to do in your life, your faith, your hope, your steps of faith? They, they tend more often than not, even a good godly family, someone's got the little snide comment, little cynical innuendos, and they attack and they attack and they attack. And sometimes they're attacking you and they don't even know why. They're just being used by the devil to discourage you. And you leave and they think, like, why did I say that to my brother-in-law? Because they're not thinking straight. Because they didn't have a good devotion time, because they weren't walking with the Lord and they said things that discourage you without intent, but they still discourage you. But then maybe they say it because they're jealous. Is there anyone more jealous in the world than your own family members of your success with the Lord and your calling with the Lord? So often it's true. Maybe not your immediate family, but your extended family, it's quite common. Jealous. Jealous of your joy, jealous of your happiness. Jealous of your peace. Jealous of your temperament and controlling yourself when others lose control. And they're jealous of it because they fly off the handle. They yell and scream. Their life is chaos. Their life is disorder because they choose that and self-determine it in rejecting Christ. And they're jealous. Because when the prophet came to the house, they didn't anoint them, even though they look like they should be the next king, they anointed baby brother number seven. And they're jealous of it. And they're so jealous of it, they're judge and jury of your heart. Oh, I know what's in your heart. Look at Eliab. We can't. We choose our friends, but we can't choose our family, can we? You you just, you just can't. It's so funny. When Luke was born in our family, Timmy was like two, two and a half years, two two and a half years old. We had Luke home for two days, and he came to Jennifer and said, "When do we take him back?" <laughs> he was serious. Like, when do we, when do we, when do we take him back? You know, like we got him from you know Scripps, Do we just take him back? You know, like, how does this work? But we can't do that, can we? No, you just have to keep Eliab out of your space, your head space, your heart space, your world. See, we're like Jerusalem. See, this Jerusalem. That's your space. We told all of our kids, especially the boys growing up, anyone comes in your space, you can clear it out. Timmy got bullied in fourth grade, nonviolent Timmy. That kid came into space, he choked him. I was like, of all things, why'd you choke him? He says, this is what came to my mind. Why him? Well, he was the smallest guy. I said, That's pretty smart. Pick a fight with three guys, go for the smallest guy first. But he came into space. Luke in sixth grade, he had some classmates taunting him. This one kid came into space, he decked him, he put him on the, on the cement. And that kid never came into space again. We got space. God gives you space. We don't get safe space. Sorry, millennials. Uh, But we get, I'm being facetious, of course, we get your space. Not my space, your space. You caught that, early 2000s. And you need to protect it. Like the walls of Jerusalem, you need to protect it. And you decide who comes in the city gates when they come in. If they behave themselves properly at the dinner table, they're welcome to stay. They want to burn down your city, they got to go. You're like Nehemiah saying, don't come back next week either because I'm going to rip your beards out. You got to do what you got to do. You can't put your call from the Lord and your sets of faith on the Lord on hold because one of your family members thinks they know judge and jury of your heart and your motives and twist it against you you got to know this is your space. You have a just cause, and that's it, and there's nothing more to say. What did it say about David in that text? He moved on. You see, he just, like, there's, there's nothing more to say to big brother right there. This conversation is over. You see in the text, he just walked away. He went to the next person. That's what we have to do. You have to fight the, those negative attacks coming from the devil to discourage us. Then he goes to Saul. So now Saul's his boss. Okay, so you got family, now you got your boss, your place of employment. Saul's like, Saul doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't try to judge his heart. He just goes, you're not able. There's no shortages of people that will tell you you're not able. God tells you you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. David said, by my God, I can leap against a high, over a high wall. Like everything the Lord speaks into our life says, you can do this through faith in me looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But the world, and so many people we know, we're not sure why. Like, okay, we know Eliab was jealous of his brother. So je- that was jealousy, the first case. But in this case, it's just like, you're not able. Oh, so Saul's judge and jury knows everything. Don't let ungodly men and women rejected by the Lord determine what God's doing in your life and stop you from it. You just have to recognize, like, no, that's not the voice of the Lord. There's a lot of voices out there. Filter them. We need to know the voice of the Lord. No, my boss, he might be the king of covenant Israel. That's why I never try and boss people's personal lives. Why would I? I don't know. I got a hard enough time figuring out what God's doing in my life. Had all these different pastors come to me in the last three years saying, we feel called to go to Idaho. We feel called to go to Texas. We feel called to go to uh, you know, Phoenix or whatever in these different places. People have gone from this. Church. I'm like, good for you. Lord, guide your steps and keep you. And with Sam and Joanna as my witness, I've never held anyone back from moving anywhere. I've encouraged them. I'm not going to be the... I'm, if anything, I'm going to encourage you to go. I want you to go. Like I told Hector, go get your own stories. Quit telling mine. Get out there and live life. Get some stories. I don't need, you don't want to hear Pastor Chuck's stories from me, and you, people don't want to hear Pastor Joey's stories from Hector. So get on with it. And don't, don't let people come. You've got to get through all that spiritual beatdown of people trying to discourage you. It, it's hard when people, you, someone you look up to and you respect, because we're told that some, they, it says when Saul and David met each other in the previous chapter, that one of them loved the other. So Pastor Chuck says it was, David loving Saul but David Guzik said it was Saul loving David it's not really clear in the original Hebrew but if it's David that loves Saul and so looked up to him as the king and his boss can you imagine how hard it was for him to go into the boss's tent who he loves and respects because he never did raise his hand against Saul and, and go like I can do this and he goes no you can't that dream no you can't get back in your little hole get back in your cubicle you can't do that you got to reject that in Jesus' name. You just cannot accept that. If you have the just cause, and you know you're in the right, and you know it's the moral high ground, you know it's what God's going to do, your, your brother, whatever, your boss, whatever. And then finally, when he went before Goliath, Goliath despises him. The three biggest men in his life, his big brother, the quarterback, his king, ruler of all, and Goliath, who whooped everybody from the enemies, all three of these men despised him and talked trash to him. And in the case of Saul, he tried to make him go out in the name of Saul. Okay, if you're gonna go out here, wear my armor, so I get the credit. You close the deal, I'll give you a little bonus, but I get, get, you know, boss of the year. That's, don't, no, that's not gonna work that way. And Goliath's like, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. He had to overcome all this, and he had to know who he's believed in and be sure who he's believed in and know that his cause was a just cause. So when you're standing for the unborn and you're standing for basic science on gender or true science on health care or you're standing for the truth in a, in a public forum, you need to know Your cause is a just cause. You need to know that the battle is the Lord's. And when Goliath was coming at him and David ran at him, he knew it was a just cause and the battle is the Lord's. And he didn't even blink. There was no kryptonite to stop David's faith. Not a jealous big brother judging his heart. Not an unbelieving king rejected by the Lord. Or an evil foe who tried to intimidate him verbally before even getting in the octagon, if you will. We got to take those thoughts captive, body of Christ, worship generation. And we need to go forward, second of all, in the assurance of what we know God's faithfulness is. Because when David stood before Saul and Saul said, You can't do it, and David's like, Yeah, I can. So you go to your boss and you say, Look, I don't know what's been going on here for 39 days, but I'll go fight this guy. Oh, I know you can't. Oh, I can. Here's my resume. Here's my progressive resume of faith. Because when I wasn't even called to my dad's house when the prophet Samuel came to anoint a king, where I wasn't even on the radar, on the draft board, if you will, me and the Lord were writing songs together. We were alone in the middle of the night. I have a heart for God. He would never say these things, but God said it. God said it of David before this conversation. He could have said, here's my resume God of the universe, God of wonders beyond our galaxy, says I have a heart for him. And I'll fight this guy. And in case you question whether my credentials, I can do this, let me tell you. You know when you go to Big Bear and you see those stickers on the back window that's a bear claw, and it says Bear Mountain or Big Bear? God delivered me from that paw. I chased down a bear that had what was mine, that was entrusted to me by the Lord. And I fought for it. I fought the good fight. I chased down a lion. Do you know it's like to fight a lion in the middle of the Judean wilderness? Man on man? I fought that lion, because he had my lamb. And I called the name of Jehovah, the God of Israel, God of the God of the burning bush, God of Mount Sinai. And I got that lion and I killed that lion. And I killed that bear. Because God is with me, and God who delivered me in my past life, in my my life up to this time, in my previous experiences. He was faithful when I was in elementary school. He was faithful in junior high, faithful in high school, faithful in college, faithful as a young adult, faithful in my midlife crisis. He's faithful in my my 60s, in my 70s, and he's faithful on my deathbed. That God has delivered me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion, and I'll rip this Philistine's head off. In Jesus' name. That's how I'm going to win this battle. It's not me. The battle is the Lord's. Well, here's my armor. Go get them. No, I don't need your armor. I'll be who I am. You be who you are. That's your gig. This is my gig, a staff and stones. I got this in Jesus' name. And he went out in the confidence of God's past faithfulness to him. Time and time again in the Bible, we see where the people of covenant say, thus far the Lord has been with us, like the Ebenezer stone. Not, or Joshua, not one promise has failed. And none of them ever will. To the people of faith, you've got to fight the battle against the attacks on the good things that God's doing in your life. you got to take those thoughts captive and obedient to the Lord. you got to hold the line and know it's a just cause. It's a good cause. And God's going to always honor the truth. He's going to always honor what's right. You do the right thing, worship generation body of Christ. God's going to always honor it. In the secret place and in the public forum. And if you do the right things in the secret place, more often than not, he's going to reward you and use you in the public place. And to whom much is given, much is required, but don't be afraid to go after all that God has for you. Because so many people, even in Jesus' name, bury their mina and do nothing. You know, if he gives you two, get Four he gives you five, gets ten, like Matthew 25. Build a resume. We've talked about this. Build a resume of faith. Take steps of faith. Take time to pray. Take time to intercede. Take time to invest in people's lives. Share their greatest moments. Share their most difficult moments. You know, I never look forward to a memorial. Would you look forward to a memorial? What if your job was to show up and lay people to rest at an open grave? That's my Monday. But the people I'm doing for, I love. They're my neighbors. And the person I'm laying to rest, I love very much too. Do your job. Do your job, body of Christ. Do what Jesus Christ is calling you to do in 2022. You're not called to do the memorial service on Monday or here Saturday at noon. I am. I'm not called to do what you're called to do. You're called to do it. And it requires faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Face those giants. Don't let them come out every day and talk trash against you and the call of God on your life. Don't let your relatives paralyze your faith. Don't let your boss cripple your faith. And definitely don't let the enemy in places of power keep you from going out in faith to do what you're called to do, even though it's against them in this realm of the spirit. We gotta go, because we're gonna go. One good thing about putting people in the grave is it reminds you you're going to the grave. Some people never go to memorials and they never go to cemeteries. I go to them regularly. And every time I do, I'm reminded. I'm reminded. I look at, I look at the tombstones. I look at the stuff. Oh, well, 17 years. well 37, 32. woman with two daughters. I just, I just process and remind myself it is all short. It's all a vapor. And the only thing that matters is saved by faith, living by faith, and finishing in faith. So go fight your giants. And be you. Grab your stones and be you. Be you. Saul was called to fight in his armor. He just didn't have the faith to do it. David was called to fight with a staff and stones, and he did have the faith to do it. Not by might nor by power, says the Lord, but by my spirit, says the Lord, is how it's accomplished. Who are you, O mountain, to stand before Zuberbal? I will make you a level plane. Zechariah chapter four. See, the battle truly is the Lord's. And when you know the, the battle is the Lord, you just go get it. You just go get it, you get after it, and you just do it. And as you take steps of faith, and as you see his faithfulness in all these different seasons of your life, when you hold your dead son in your arms, when you see your mom's spirit give up the ghost, and all the different things that I've experienced in my life, being a world champion, or winning the Pipe Masters, or being in the Hall of Fame, all this, it it comes and goes. All that matters is we're going to see Jesus. And everything in this life about steps of faith and fighting giants, whether you want to or not, that's preparedness for the next realm. So when I look at the stewardship of managing my own finances, my father's estate, and the church's resources, which are all multiplying, all three of them, someone says, well, what's going to happen? What if you lose it all? What if I lose it all? I'm not listening. If I lose it all, I lose it all. Because what God's working in me and my stewardship is preparing me for eternity. Nothing I'm, I'm multiplying in the human experience of the temporal really matters, other than it advances the kingdom when I'm gone, what really matters is I learned the lesson, so when I get to the next dimension, he can say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter to the joy of your Lord, you've been faithful and few. Now here's more. So if some dictator nukes everything I've worked hard for economically in my life, it doesn't take anything away from me. This is spring ball and football, and the real season is until we're in glory on the other side. So WG, don't be disheartened or body of Christ disheartened because you feel like people can take this or living in fear of this. Be fruitful. Take steps of faith. Multiply. Get one, get two. Get two, get four. Spiritually, economically. The Bible's, God's a God of multiplication. In the Old Testament, you have addition, subtraction, and multiplication. In the New Testament with the church, you have addition, subtraction, and multiplication. Our God is the God of multiplication. And his kingdom's coming. In a multiplication of glory that we can't even comprehend this side of the dimension. So go get after that Giant. Build your resume. I'm not at all satisfied with what I've done in 60 years of life, not even close to it. I definitely want to find another gear. I asked my dad, I was joking with my dad yesterday, I said, hey, Pop, so I decided when I was six, I was just gonna dance for 10 years, get really good at dancing. He was like, you're so weird. I <clears throat> said, so, and then at 70, I'm gonna take up golf. I mean, I played golf recently, I really like golf, but, you know, they say it's a good walk on bad. But at any rate, at 70, I'm going to live somewhere and I'm going to play golf. Well, that's still my dance, but I'm going to golf. Because I'll have an upside in golf. I can get better at golf between 70 and 80. I'm going to play golf. And then at 80, I figure I'm going to play chess and master Russian. Because I know Russian pretty well. So I'm Be fluent. King Charlemagne said, the famous King Charlemagne, he said that when you learn another language, you gain another soul. Because you see people of that culture when you learn their language. When I learned Spanish, I embraced the whole Latin community because I was learning Spanish. You don't learn a language not to like people. So I'm learning Russian, I learned to love the Russian people. So I figure between 80 and 90, I'm gonna play chess, not checkers, chess, and I'm gonna speak Russian. And they're really gonna think something's wrong with me. But I said, Dad, I haven't figured out what I'm gonna do at 90. So Dad, let me ask you, what, what, what what do you do at 90? And he says, wish that you were 70. True story yesterday. You know what that tells me, WG? Young and old, get busy. Because when you're 90, 70, it looks young. When you're 60, 70, it looks old. But my dad's going to be 92 on May 4th. He's like, hey, wish that you were 70. Huh? All right then. Let's play golf. You know? You got to get after it. You got to get after it. And finally, we see here, David did get after it. So you got to fight all oh, that noise. And you gotta fight through it, and you gotta get after it. And you go forward based on the confidence. So you build this resume of God's faithfulness. So you take the steps of faith and you're ready for new adventures, you're ready for new challenges. You're not crippled by what people think, what people are gonna do. You have the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord is free to be free from the fear of man, which is a snare. And you go and you take action. But notice when David took action, how it says that he took his his staff and his stone, and we talked about this. Take your weapon. Take your strength. You be you. Like I just said, you be you, I'll be me. I'm not trying to be you. Don't try to be me. Why would you? And let's just be who we are. You go in the gifts God's given you, and you go get two and make four for the kingdom. You got five to go make ten. You got one to get two, but don't bury it. Don't bury the call of God. Do not bury the call of God. And then expand your vision. Check this out. I didn't catch this when I taught this a couple weeks ago. I'd never noticed this in 34 years of this story, reading it with the Lord. So look, uh, Goliath says to him in verse 44, I will give your flesh to the fields, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. Goliath's going one-on-one, okay? Now look what David says. He says, uh, this day the Lord's going to live into my hands, verse uh, 46, and I'm going to strike you, take your head from you. And I'm going to give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beast. He one-upped them. Don't let unbelieving people, the kingdom of darkness, dumb you down in your faith. Don't let them take, don't let them frame it and define what the battleground really is. The battleground is the gospel and the word of God. That's the battleground. If you let them pull you with straw men's and these little uh, distractions, you can get off point what it's really about because that's what manipulative bully people do. And what did Goliath do for 40 days? He intimidated and bullied the entire camp of Israel with this, oh, I'm gonna do this and do that. And David's like, God's like, I'm gonna cut you and feed you to the birds. And David's like, that's nothing. I'm gonna take your head off and feed your entire army to the birds. He upped his game. He's like, you wanna do trash talking right now? I'll take a whole nother level. It's not you against me, it's you against the Lord. And we're gonna wipe your army out today. Big bad boy says, I'm going to come take your life. I'm like, hey, five stones, a staff, I'm taking your life, and we're taking your whole army's life. He one-upped them. Our God's the God of multiplication. We need bigger vision. We need more faith. To him or her who has, more will be given. And the way you get it is to be faithful with it and make something happen. Faith without works is dead, Right. So you got to make just make things happen. Do something. You know, when I saw different people that I follow on Instagram up at the Capitol this week defending the unborn in the state of California, it would seem like California would be easy to think it's a lost cause. I mean, we sometimes feel that way. But they're up there. I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, Jack Hibbs. I'm not going to do a Trump rally in the church. That's what he does. That's his business. But, I, man, I'm <laughs> The dude's a capital defending the unborn and innocent blood. What could be more honorable? If that's your last day on planet Earth. By the way, that's a good look. That is a really good look for your last day. Got to respect that. And he did it. Goliath, Goliath fell. David got him. David took the offense. He didn't even play the defense. David ran at Goliath. This is another beautiful part of the story. David ran at him. Goliath. David was like, oh, yeah, yeah. like oh, just ran right at him. Like, oh, what's going on? Like he charged him. That's the only way you can fight these battles. You cannot be hesitant. You cannot double clutch. It's like surfing Pipeline. Either you attack Pipeline or you don't even surf Pipeline. And once I had a horrible wipeout in 1999 at Pipeline, I was never the same. I couldn't attack Pipeline, so I quit surfing Pipeline. But that's one thing as an athlete, the most dangerous wave in the world. Quite another one, just a pastor trying to be faithful to the end. Because I can attack the kingdom of darkness until I'm 102. Or whenever I step into eternity. You and I can attack the kingdom of darkness with faith in Jesus. Because it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You and I can keep going forward and charging the giants of darkness until the last day, however long we live. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Because though the outward woman's perishing, the outward man, the inward man, the inward woman, we're being renewed daily. And we're going from glory to glory. Your greatest battle might be your last day. So keep charging ahead. But it's no time to be sitting in the camp going, like, who's going to deal with this? Get after it in prayer. Support those who do. And figure out where you're supposed to be. Reject the darkness. Stand on the past faithfulness and the assurance of a just cause take action, make things happen, fight the viper, cut his head off, and claim the victory that's already accomplished through what we celebrated last week. Amen.